your Locked on the New York Rangers, your daily podcast on the New York Rangers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 602 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. Just want to thank you guys for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. That song you're hearing right now is, of course, Leave the Lights On from our good friends in Pacifier. You can check those guys out anywhere you get your music. And the Rangers coming off of a hard-earned, much-needed 3-1 victory over the Carolina Hurricanes in Game 3 of this series, cutting their series deficit to two games to one, which obviously beats the alternative. I mean, you guys probably don't even need me to tell you this, but... Just a monumental difference between being down 2-1 and 3-0. I mean, you're down 3-0. Never say never, but you're up against this excellent Carolina Hurricanes team. You already came back from down three games to one against the Penguins in the first round. Coming back from 3-0 down in the next series against the Canes. I mean, you know, how many miracles can you pull in one singular playoff run? But they got the win here. And just skating with a bunch more urgency, you know, a much better effort from this Ranger team. I thought the star players really showed up in a big way for the Rangers in this game, which they really did not do in Game 2. Game 1, I thought the Rangers played fine. It was just a lack of uh, scoring opportunity. It's obviously a matchup of two very good uh, defensive teams, so that's to be somewhat expected. Um, And again, I thought the Rangers overall played a nice game in Game 1, just let it get away late. Game 2 was uh, just flat out bad, and then this was a lot better. The Rangers looked every bit the part of a team that was down two games to nothing and absolutely had to win this game in order to uh, avoid the dreaded three to nothing hole. And of course now, they've got an opportunity to tie this series up and kind of hold serve at home. You win both your games at home. It's 2-2 heading back to Carolina. Uh, Obviously, it's not going to be easy. The Rangers and Canes are playing some tight, low-scoring defensive games, but they got a shot at it, and you know this was an absolutely pretty much must-win game uh, against the Canes in this one, game three here. Uh, Again, you know, I mentioned a second ago that I thought the Rangers' stars really stood out in a big way in this game. And, you know, you could look no further than two goals that were scored by the Rangers, you know, not including the empty netter by Tyler Mott at the end of the game. But, yeah, I mean, who stepped up and contributed to these goals? Well, the first goal was scored on the power play. You've got Adam Fox to Artemi Panarin to Mika Zibanejad. And then the second goal, Jacob Truba to Mika Zibanejad to Chris Kreider. And again, a lot of the Rangers stars were pretty much MIA in game two. So it was obviously huge to see them uh, come out and really contribute in a major way to the Rangers getting this win and uh, basically keeping their season alive here. And, you know, something else that is a big takeaway for me for this game is I don't think, you know, the Rangers, they've played now 10 Stanley Cup playoff games. They went seven games with Pittsburgh. We're three games into this series against the Canes. I don't think the Rangers have played their best game yet. I don't think they've truly played uh, their A-plus or even A or A minus game yet. You know, they're they're getting by and they're doing what they need to do to win these games. You know, the 3-1 comeback against the Penguins is absolutely awesome. This game, game three, very gutsy performance by the New York Rangers, but it was not perfect. You know, a couple of things that stood out to me as far as not being perfect. I don't think the Rangers uh, got off to as good of a start as they possibly could have. I mean, the first shift or two was pretty good, but then the Canes kind of took control for the first 10 minutes of the first period. And I think something else that the Rangers did in this game, which is something that they were definitely guilty of in game one, they had the one goal lead 
You know, in this one, they went up 2 nothing, then it got cut down to 2-1, to one, and they sat back on that lead. You know, game one, they led one nothing basically the entire way, and... You know, it cost them because the Canes got the equalizer with about 225 left in regulation in game one. And even in this game, you know, once the Canes scored what was really kind of a fluky goal against Igor Shesterkin, I mean, it was so weird because Igor, maybe his best game of the playoffs, I don't say that lightly, you know, considering what he did in games five, six, and seven against the Penguins. But man, he looked every bit the part of the uh, Vesna winner that he's going to be and, you know, the Hart Trophy finalist. Uh, just absolutely, you know, making great saves in this contest. I believe he had 18 saves in the first period. I think 17 more in the second period, and the Rangers finally tightened up defensively in the third period. But yeah, as far as the Rangers not playing their best overall game, you know, I thought there were times where obviously, you know, you look at those shot totals in the first two periods, they were uh, making it a little bit too easy for the Canes to kind of set up shop in the Ranger crease. I think they could do a better job of just defending in general and certainly clearing guys out of the crease. I mean, when you look at the Rangers personnel, uh, the, the defensemen specifically, you know, you've got big, tough, physical guys, some of whom are fairly intimidating. You know, you look at guys like Jacob Truba, Ryan Lindgren, uh, even Ke'Andre Miller beginning to play with some more physicality. Braden Schneider, I mean, he dished out two separate hits in this game that knocked his opponent to the ice. You know, they've got size and strength on their blue line. And so those guys should be able to knock these forwards of the Canes or anybody that they're playing out of the crease a little bit more than they have been doing. And again, I thought early in this game, it was just a little too easy for the Canes to just kind of set up shop in front of the Ranger net. And of course, Igor Shesterkin came through big early in this game, really made some clutch saves, uh, kept the game scoreless. And then for a while was keeping the Rangers up one to nothing. So fantastic job by Igor. But I think the Rangers can do a better job uh, defensively, just in general, certainly at the start of the game, and more specifically, just moving guys out of the crease there. So that's something I would look for them to hopefully improve upon in game four and even for the rest of this series here. On top of that... I'd like to see the Rangers get a little bit selfish, see these guys pull the trigger on some shots, not look for that perfect play, not always look for that extra pass, you know, just let it fly at the net. As we've talked about, that strategy paid dividends late in the series against Pittsburgh. They got away from it in games one and two. I thought they did a little bit better of a job of this when, you know, when in doubt, just kind of throw the puck toward the net. But even in this one, there were a couple of examples of, uh, you know, the Rangers passing when they probably should have shot. And I think the most glaring example came when Alexi Lafreniere had the puck in front of the Canes net. He's right in the slot there, and he decides to pass to his left to Andrew Kopp. And Kopp is not in as nearly as good of a scoring spot on the ice as Alexi Lafreniere is. Cops kind of uh, into the left faceoff circle there, and he takes this shot, and it's turned aside by Antti Ranta. If Lafreniere lets it go there, I mean, he's got a, a pretty good look at the net. I think he's going to snipe one of the corners and uh, give the Rangers, or rather improve the Ranger lead at that point. Instead, he passed to his left, and because Cop wasn't really that far away from Lafreniere, it's not like he could put a lot of sauce on the pass. You know, he couldn't really zip it over there. It was kind of a soft touch pass, and in so doing, you know, you gave Ronta a chance to get in position to uh, stop the incoming shot from Andrew Cop. So again, just one example, but I would like to see the Rangers. They did a little bit better of a job of it in this game than they did in game two, and even probably in game one as well, but I'd like to see them uh, just get a little bit more trigger happy when it comes to shooting the puck. We saw it pay huge dividends, like I said. Uh, late in the series against Pittsburgh. On top of that, I don't want to see the Rangers sitting back when they have a one-goal lead. You know, we kind of alluded to that a couple of minutes ago, but again, you know, the Rangers, they're up 2-1 midway through this game, and they kind of just started sitting back. You know, the forecheck that had been so good for the Rangers and other parts in this game kind of disappeared. I mean, not completely, but, and you know, I'm exaggerating to make the point here, but it felt like the entire second half of this game was played on the Rangers' side of the rink. You know, and the Rangers did defend well. You have to give them credit where it's due. I guess if that was the idea that, you know, we're going to 
just play really good defense in front of Igor, and we're going to limit their chances. The Rangers definitely did a nice job of doing that. Uh, they killed off a power play by the Canes that we're definitely going to talk about in greater detail a little bit later here. They did a nice job defending, but again, you can't just lay on a one-goal lead for you know half the game, more than half the game, whatever it might be. A lot of times that's not going to work. It didn't work in game one. They were fortunate enough to hold them off here, and again, they did defend very well. You have to give credit where it's due, but you can't just you know go into a shell trying to protect a one-goal lead for 30 minutes or, or however long it was uh, in this game. But like I said a second ago, I really don't think that the Rangers have played their best game of the playoffs, at least to date. I think it's still on the way, and uh, what a time it would be to play the best game that they've played the entire postseason in you know, a borderline must-win game four. They don't want to go down 3-1. to one. Again, how many miracles can you pull off in the same playoff series? I mean, you're going to go down 3-1 to the Penguins and win that series, then go down 3-1 to the Canes and win that series too. Not impossible, but obviously a very difficult task. They got to get this series even. And we as fans, man, at a certain point here, we just need a lopsided Ranger win in the playoffs. They have not had one yet. Every single win that the Rangers have had, we've had to sweat it out on one level or another. And Man, wouldn't it be nice to just see them? I, I've said this in the past too, but wouldn't it be nice just to see this team win a playoff game by a final score of like five to one, something like that? Again, we have not seen the Rangers uh, absolute best in this playoff run yet. I think it could be coming, and I think it could be coming as soon as game four. We're going to be talking about this in greater detail. We're going to talk about the Rangers' decision to go to some new line combinations as well as revert back to the old line combinations late in this game. We're going to uh, break that down, that decision from Gerard Gallant and his coaching staff. We're going to also break down all these New York Ranger goals that were scored in this game, and I'm going to have a lot to say about everything that happened after the game ended. You've got Max Domi attacking Ryan Lindgren. You've got Tony D'Angelo mouthing off to Gerard Gallant. Gallant giving it right back. We're going to get to all that good stuff in just a second. But first, just want to let everybody know that today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by Built Bar. I love brownies, but you know what I love more? Brownie batter. And you're in luck if you love brownie batter because Built has a new creation, and this one is better than ever. The brownie batter puff. You heard me right. This puff takes protein to a whole new level, and they're available right now on Built.com. Have you tried the Built Puffs yet? I'm not sure what you're waiting for. Puffs are a chocolate-covered marshmallow protein bar. That's right. Delicious-flavored marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. With 140 calories, 17 grams of protein, and only 7 grams of sugar, brownie batter puffs are the perfect pick-me-up for any day. And they are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. The brownie batter puffs will have you completely forgetting that you are eating a protein bar. No need to pinch yourself. This is real life. Go to Built.com to get brownie batter puffs right now. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, just wanted to thank you guys for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about the new look Ranger line combinations for this game. It was pretty much inevitable. You know, we talked about this in our last episode. It got to a point where uh, you had to shake something up. You had to try something a little bit different. Obviously, in the first two games, the Rangers scored a combined one goal, and that happened only about five or seven minutes into game one. So the Rangers went nearly two hours of ice time without scoring a single goal. And for all those reasons, they absolutely had to shuffle the deck a little bit. It was just basically a matter of what exactly they would do, how exactly they would line up, and what they ended up doing, I didn't really see this coming, but they moved Philip Hedl up to the top line with Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider. My big thing going into this uh, whole 
uh, concept of changing the lines was I wanted to make sure at least one of the two of Alexi Lafreniere or Capo Caco moved into the top six. You know, you don't necessarily want to break up the kid line, but again, a change needed to be made uh, to just try to you know, spark this team, get something going here. And I thought between Kako and Lafreniere, at least one of the two of them had to move up into the top six. Indeed, that ended up being the case. It ended up being Alexi Lafreniere on the second line. He played the right wing with Ryan Strom and Artemi Panarin. And then the third line was completely different. You had Andrew Kopp playing with Capo Kako as well as Frank Vetrano. And I thought that line looked really, really good early in this game. I think it was their first shift. Couple of scoring opportunities. You had uh, Truba passing to Capo Kako. Kako was in deep. I believe the puck went from Kopp to Truba, then to Kako. Uh, but they were making some things happen, throwing the puck at the net, getting at least a couple of decent looks early in this game, which was very, very important. Rangers, again, you know, they needed to win this game and it was important to, you know, come out looking a lot better than they did in game two. And I thought this line early in the game, you know, at least the first half of the first period was probably the Rangers' best line, despite being the one that, you know, was completely thrown together. All three of those guys, uh, Kako, Vetrano, and Kopp, are typically on three different lines, but they look good early. Uh, so that was obviously really nice to see. And... Of course, the Rangers end up scoring some goals in this game, which was obviously a positive development for them. What was interesting, and we'll get to the goal breakdowns in just a second, but what was interesting, in the third period, the Rangers actually, and this is when they were up 2-1, to one, reverted back to the old line combinations. You know, they put everything back to exactly how it was before they made these changes heading into game three. They were back to what they've been for most of the playoffs and back to what they were for games one and two of this series. Bit of a curious strategy from Gerard Gallant there, especially because the Rangers looked better offensively in this game than they had all series. So in the third period, it was kind of like, all right, well, why would we go back to you know the line combos that weren't working so well in the first two games? The only thing I can really come up with here is that you know, the Rangers, they had the one goal lead. It was the third period. Obviously, defensive hockey becomes the priority. I mean, you don't want to sit back too much. We talked about that a minute ago. Uh, but obviously, you know, you want defensive hockey to be uh, the primary goal. You want to play strong defense down the stretch here and do everything you can to win this game. So my only guess here is that maybe Gallant figured that the lines, as they're typically constructed, how they were constructed in games one and two, those are the ideal defensive line combinations for the New York Rangers. And to a certain extent, I can see that. You know, I, I think you're protecting a one-goal lead in the third period. Certainly, you want to get Andrew Kopp back up into the top six so he could play top six minutes, uh, one of the Rangers' better defensive forwards that they have on the roster. So he moved back to his spot on the second line with Stroman Panarin. Besides that, though, I mean, did going back to the original line combinations really make the Rangers significantly better from a defensive perspective? I'm not so sure. I mean, maybe it does a little bit. I mean, we already talked about Cop moving back into the top six. That's obviously a good thing. Vitrano slotting back onto the top line in place of Filipino. That probably makes the Rangers a little bit better of a defensive team as well. So I think that's probably why Gallant did this. That That's the best... Uh, ex explanation that I can come up with because, again, you know, from an offensive perspective, these new line combinations were working better than the old ones that we saw. And, of course, the fourth line was unchanged, Mott Rooney Reeves, as always. And so we're going to get to uh, the rest of this game, going to talk about uh, the goals that the Rangers score in this game, the fact that they actually succeeded on the power play against a really, really tough Canes penalty kill. We're going to talk about the final frantic few minutes here, which included uh, Kreider missing an empty net, but Tyler Mott picking him up with an empty net goal. And, of course, all the extracurriculars from after the game, and we will do all of that in just a second here. All right, just wanted to thank you guys, as always, for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. 
All right, let's go ahead and uh, break down these Ranger goals here. You've got Mika Zibanejad scoring on the power play, 11.54 into the first period, giving the Rangers what turned out to be a game-long lead. But I should actually just back up for a second here because it was actually Mika Zibanejad. You know, he scored on the power play here. He also drew the penalty that put the Rangers on the power play. Basically, you know, the Rangers, they've got their revamped top line. You got Hedl, Kreider, and Mika out there. And they're having a really good offensive zone possession, you know, sustaining uh, time in the O zone, keeping the puck away from the Canes. You know, they're kind of driving them nuts. They're strong on the boards. You've got Mika behind the Canes net. And eventually, you know, Brady Shea, he can't keep up with Mika Zibanejad. And so he's got to reach out and grab him, pulls him down, and takes a holding penalty at that point. So the Rangers go to the power play. And as we've talked about, this is kind of a daunting task right now. Uh, really, it's been a daunting task all season, whether you're the Rangers or anybody else, trying to score a power play goal against this Carolina Hurricanes team. They killed off 88% of the uh, power plays that their opponents had against them in the regular season. But the Rangers do a really nice job here. You know, the same five players that always make up the Ranger top power play unit were out there. You've got Mika Zibanejad, kind of moving up and down along the boards in the corner on the left side there, protecting the puck, keeping it away from the Carolina Hurricanes. He passes back to Adam Fox. Fox moves it over to Artemi Panarin. And Panarin looked better in this game than he's looked in a while. There were a couple of instances where the Rangers brought the puck, specifically Panarin brought the puck across the blue line, was making some nifty moves and, you know, kind of having the Hurricanes back on their heels a little bit. But Panarin here, you know, he moves up into the right face-off circle, makes that beautiful cross-ice pass that we've seen him make to Mika Zibanejad more times than we can possibly count this season. Usually what happens on this play, you know, Panarin will make this pass and Mika will just wind back and absolutely tattoo the puck into the net. This one was a little different. You know, Mika received the pass and you know, the, the broadcasters were making it sound like, you know, they, they he did this on purpose, that he hesitated on purpose to, uh, you know, kind of try to trick Anti-Ranta or, or whatever the reason might be. I don't think that's what happened at all. I think Mika initially wasn't sure that he had the puck. You know, he had to kind of look down and make sure that he had it, kind of just fumbled it for a second. Uh, but whatever the reason, it, it worked out because Mika eventually gained control here. And instead of that slap shot that we're so used to seeing him take from this spot on the ice, Mika unleashes a wrister instead, gets it under the right arm of Anti-Ranta and into the net. And just like that, Rangers up one to nothing. Big, big spot in this series to see the Rangers uh, crack the code that is the Carolina Hurricanes penalty kill unit because it's not easy to score on them. Canes were great on the PK in the regular season. They didn't do as great in the first round against the Boston Bruins. I believe just 79% success rate on the PK and the Canes are having all kinds of issues on their power play. So the Canes scuffling a little bit, at least by their own lofty standards when it comes to special teams. And hopefully that's an area where the Rangers uh, can continue to have the advantage. We saw how important that is in the playoffs in the first round against the Penguins. You know, the Rangers won the special teams battle late in that series after not winning it early in that series. And again, cashing in on the power play here, getting their first power play goal of the series. And hopefully, like I said, they can just continue to build on that. The Rangers, of course, went one for two on the power play in this game, while the Canes went 0 for three. And the Canes, like I said, in a major slump when it comes to their power play. In fact, uh, this goes back to the regular season, this stat that I'm about to uh, you know share with you guys here. But the Canes have only scored on the power play in nine out of their last 89 attempts. That was the stat that came up uh, during this game at a certain point, and I think the Canes had one more power play after that stat was shown on the screen, so I believe they're now nine for their last 90, but, you know, give or take one power play opportunity in either direction. Bottom line, the Canes are scuffling big time on the power play, and of course, the Rangers have a really good penalty kill, so I think the door is wide open for the Rangers to hopefully continue to uh, win the special teams battle going forward in this series, and that's going to be huge, just like it always is come Stanley Cup playoff time. 
And on top of that, you know, we as Ranger fans, understandably so, we tend to fixate on everything that the Rangers are doing. And obviously, one of the biggest storylines coming into this game three was the very simple fact that the Rangers had scored just one goal in the first two games combined in this series. But you know, it's easy to forget that the Canes aren't scoring any goals either. You know, we talk about how the Rangers superstars were struggling. The Canes superstars were struggling. They're not putting the puck in the net right now. Obviously, Igor Shesterkin has a lot to do with that, particularly in this game, game three, where I thought Igor was at his absolute best. But, you know, the Rangers are playing good team defense and the Canes top players, you know, Aho, Taravainen, Trocek, D'Angelo, Svechnikov, Stall. I mean, the list goes on and on. These guys are not exactly lighting up the score sheet every single night. And the Canes themselves, they have just three regulation goals in the three games combined, not including the one empty netter that they had in game two. So they're scuffling offensively as well. And you just hope that the Rangers, you know, they can uh, win a low scoring grinded out series. Now, of course, you never know what's going to happen next in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Maybe the next game, the Rangers have to win it like six to five or something like that, but probably not. You know, both these teams are very defensively responsible, very good on the uh, penalty kill. And uh, we'll just see what happens here. But I, I think it was big that the Rangers uh, got a power play goal against this tough Canes PK unit. Uh, just kind of showing to themselves that they can, and hopefully they uh, continue to build on that in the uh, games to come here, specifically Game 4 at the Garden. And then the second goal from the Rangers, this one comes courtesy of Chris Kreider. Good, strong, hardworking shift from this top New York Ranger line here. You've got Mika and Kreider on the left side in the attacking zone, kind of cycling the puck a little bit. Again, working really hard to keep the Canes off their backs and protect the puck and maintain possession here. And eventually, Mika Zibanejad has the puck behind the Ranger net. You think he's going to bring it out uh, kind of on the near side as far as, you know, where the camera is positioned on the right side there. Instead, he leaves the puck for Chris Kreider. Kreider picks up the puck behind the net. And then he circles back the other way around the opposite side of the net. And I think Kreider realized here that Tony D'Angelo did not have his stick. And obviously, you don't have your stick. There's only so much you can do out there. And Kreider comes out. I think Ronta was anticipating a quick shot from Kreider. But Kreider knew, once again, he's opposed by a defenseman who does not have his stick. There was nobody else there really putting any pressure on him. And so Kreider kind of took his time and actually ended up scoring on the far side of the net. I think everybody and their mom probably thought that uh, Kreider was going to look to score short side there. He delayed for a second, went to the far side instead. Just a great snipe by Chris Kreider, and the Rangers now have a 2 to nothing lead just like that. Uh, just about five minutes and a uh, change into the second period. And I should also mention, I just watched the replay again, and what a play by Mika Zibanejad behind the Canes net here. He was guarded by Tevu Teravainen, and, you know, Kreider played the puck around behind the net to Mika, and the way that Mika was able to keep this play alive and to make sure that the Rangers maintain possession, he did a great job. As the puck was coming toward him, he lifted the stick of Taravainen, and so Taravainen obviously couldn't break up the play. Mika maintained possession, and that was where uh, he left the puck for Kreider, and Kreider took care of the rest, once again skating in front of the Canes net and just letting it fly and giving the Rangers a 2 to nothing lead. We also got to give some props to the Ranger penalty kill unit. They did a fantastic job. There was a penalty to Lafreniere with about 26 seconds left in the second period, so the Canes went to the power play there for the tail end of the second, then also had another minute and 34 to work with at the beginning of the third period. You had Tyler Mott making a really nice play at the start of the third, stealing the puck in the neutral zone and then dumping it into the Canes zone and then going in hard on the four check to, you know, kind of battle the Canes for the puck. Mott had control of it. He was in the corner. Uh, you know, the Canes trying to get the puck away from him and he's there basically, you know, they've got him pinned against the boards, but he's got the puck under his skate there. He's just trying to basically bleed the clock there, which is what he was able to do for at least a little bit of time. So great play by Tyler Mott. You also had an excellent glove save by Igor Shesterkin, knocking the puck away from the net. Didn't catch it clean, but at least uh, steered it wide of the net. 
And then Lindgren, he had a nice play here as well. Dove to try to knock a loose puck out of the Rangers zone. Couldn't quite do it, but at least got the puck out of harm's way uh, when he laid out there. And of course, the time eventually expired and the Rangers got back to full strength. And then, you know, late in the game with about six minutes, a little bit more than six minutes remaining, the Canes go back on the power play. And I thought this was just an awesome kill by the New York Rangers. Tyler Mott was off for a slash. So already you're starting kind of shorthanded on this penalty kill here. Tyler Mott, one of the best penalty killers that the Rangers have. So you got to figure out a way to get it done without him. But again, just really good, strong defense by these Ranger penalty killers here. A lot of instances where, you know, good stick positioning. They were able to uh, deflect some passes out of harm's way, redirect some passes that the Canes were trying to make oftentimes out of the zone. You had a really good play by Ryan Lindgren. When this power play began for the Canes, he almost immediately, you know, really aggressive play here, forced the Canes out of the zone, you know, pressured the puck near the blue line, forced the Canes to move it back into the neutral zone. So that was a really good start to the power play for sure. And in the, in the Rangers case, the penalty kill. Then Andrew Kopp comes up with an important clear, you know, shoots it down the ice. Uh, the Canes not too long after this won a faceoff, but Adam Fox goes down and comes up with a really big block shot here. The Rangers clear again. Ke'Andre Miller toward the end of the Canes power play, shoots the puck around the boards on the left side. There were no Canes there. I think Miller saw that, and so it went all the way around the boards and all the way down the ice, and just like that, the power play is over. And at this point, you're getting down to just about four minutes remaining in the game. You had a situation where the Canes ended up calling a timeout with 2.29 left and the faceoff forthcoming in the New York Rangers zone. So the Canes at that point decided to pull anti-Ranta, You've got Andrew Kopp winning a faceoff against Trocek, two very good uh, faceoff guys. And then the Rangers eventually worked the puck out of the zone. A couple of good passes, keeping the Canes off of them, maintaining possession here through the neutral zone. Chris Kreider up the left side. He's got an empty net with 220 left, and he puts it off the outside of the net. And as this happened, I just went, oh, Chris, what are you doing, man? Because, you know, at this point, you know, this isn't like this happened with just 10 seconds left and you figure the Rangers are going to win anyway. There was still more than two minutes to go in this game. Kreider had an empty net in front of him. He had a chance to basically salt away the game, was not able to do so, but he was picked up by Tyler Mott. Canes are playing a little bit of pitch and catch at their blue line. Obviously, the net is empty at this point. And then Tara Vinen tries to move the puck up the boards on the left side, but uh, Mott intercepts it clean and backhands the puck out of the zone and it goes into the empty net. It wasn't really moving that fast. You know, he backhanded it, did Tyler Mott, and, you know, kind of felt like this play was happening in slow motion. And as the puck was moving down the ice, you know, obviously I knew the Canes weren't going to be able to get to it, but I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that this is going into the net. And as this play is developing, and maybe some of you guys did this as well, I was just yelling at my TV, go in the net, go in the net, because obviously if it doesn't go in, it's going to be icing. Canes still have probably about a minute and 20 seconds to play with at that point in the game. So uh, very, very relieved to see that puck cross the goal line and go in and a big, big play by Tyler Mott there. I said not too long ago, a couple episodes ago, that Tyler Mott is going to make a big, big play for the Rangers before this playoff run is over. This kind of counts. Honestly, I think it's still on the way, though. His big, big play has yet to happen. This is a huge play here. Obviously, intercepting the pass, getting the empty netter, you know, an accurate backhand shot all the way down the rink. Great play by Tyler Mott. I think he's got another big-time moment in him before this series is over, before this Ranger playoff run is over. And I said on Twitter, I tweeted this out after this happened, if I get a Ranger sweater next season and if Tyler Mott is still on the team, I'm getting myself a Tyler Mott. 
I just love the way this guy plays. And, you know, there's a lot of Rangers superstars, but everybody's got a Shesterkin. Everybody's got a Panarin or a Zibanejad or a Kreider. I like, uh, you know, kind of looking at those second-tier kind of players, you know, those those glue guys, the guys that kind of hold the team together, do some of the dirty work. And uh, Tyler Mott's going to be my guy, once again, if, if the Rangers are able to bring him back this offseason. But that's another conversation for another day. Obviously, just an absolutely enormous win for the New York Rangers here, climbing back into the series. But we got to conclude today's episode by talking about all this nonsense that happened after the final horn here. And obviously the Rangers at this point, they're up three to one. Uh, the puck is in the cane zone. They kind of just half-heartedly throw it through the neutral zone there. I mean, we're talking like five, four, three seconds left. They're down by two goals. Obviously the Rangers are going to win this game. Looks like the game is going to wrap up in fairly mundane fashion. And then all of a sudden, completely unprovoked, completely unwarranted, unless there was something that happened between Domi and Lindgren earlier in this game that I did not see. I have no idea why Domi felt the need to do what he ended up doing here. Uh, so the the game ends, the final horn sounds, and Domi goes out of his way to go up to Ryan Lindgren. He slashes him, he cross-checks him in the back, and then he starts to like peel away from Lindgren. You know, he did all this nonsense, and then all of a sudden, he wanted no part of Ryan Lindgren. And Lindgren's not going to take that kind of nonsense, and you guys know that just as well as I do. Anybody that's watched Ryan Lindgren play hockey over these past couple of seasons here, you know uh, he is not the guy to do this to if you're on the opposing team. So Lindgren slashes Domi back and then basically just attacks him. Uh, big, you know, get together among both teams, and you've got Lindgren and Domi. They're engaged. Lindgren ends up kind of wrestling Domi down to the ice, slams him back first onto the surface, and that got a big roar of approval from the Madison Square Garden faithful, who, as a quick aside, I thought the Garden crowd was absolutely fantastic in this game. They really brought it. A lot of nervous energy in Game 7, but uh, this crowd was fired up. When Igor gave up the soft goal in the second period, they immediately started the Igor chance. You know, we got your back. It's all good, man. We know you got this. So great stuff by the Garden crowd. But as far as this skirmish here, yeah, again, just completely unprovoked, completely unnecessary from Max Domi. I mean, you kind of just come to expect it from him. And here's something I've noticed about Max Domi. You guys know as well as I do, or well, most people probably know. I don't I don't want to say everybody, but obviously Max Domi's dad played in the NHL, Ty Domi, big-time fighter, big-time enforcer. This was the ultimate you-do-not-want-to-mess-with-this-guy player in the NHL. I mean, he was the ultimate enforcer during his day. But have you ever noticed that every time Max Domi's name gets brought up, whether it's by me, by one of you guys, by an announcer, by, you know, maybe even a sports writer, whoever it might be, Nobody can ever go longer than five seconds without mentioning the fact that Max Domi is Ty Domi's son. And that, to me, tells you that Max Domi hasn't really done a whole lot in his NHL career. If the first thing that springs into your head for Max Domi, who's been in the league for a handful of seasons now, is that he's the son of Ty Domi. Ty Domi used to beat people up. Well, whoopty freaking do. What has Max Domi done in his NHL career? And I know he had a big game seven against the Boston Bruins in the playoffs this season, but for the most part, this is somebody who I think it's fair to say has not yet lived up to the hype, and for no reason here, he decides to attack Ryan Lindgren at the end of the game, and Lindgren handled it and did a great job uh, you know, fighting back and just showing that you know, that kind of nonsense just isn't going to fly. And by the way, you know, the Canes won games one and two. Did anybody on the New York Rangers after they lost game one or game two of this series find the need to just randomly attack somebody on the Canes? No, they didn't. They handled their loss with at least a little bit of dignity and left the ice, let the Canes do their little storm surge thing. And that's another thing I got to talk about real quick here. We'll get to the Tony D'Angelo, Jura Galant stuff in just a second. But, and I, th I thought about not even bringing this up because it's just so mind numbing that I, I think we're all going to get dumber if I actually talk about this. But... There were actually some fans, and 
some Canes fans, some general hockey fans that said the Rangers after the game, because the Rangers, when they win on Garden Ice, they go to center ice, they lift their sticks into the air, they salute the crowd. They've been doing this since the first season after the lockout to the point that I barely even notice it anymore. It's just something that's just kind of become a tradition there and something that we're very used to seeing the Rangers do after every single home victory. They salute the crowd by raising their sticks to the air. But there were people that were saying that the Rangers were mocking the storm surge which they absolutely were not doing. The Rangers have been doing uh, this stick-raising thing almost longer than the Carolina Hurricanes have actually been an NHL team. So I don't know. Either people just aren't paying attention or they're looking for something to get riled up about. I, I really can't speak for them, but obviously anybody who is suggesting that the Rangers were mocking the storm surge there either has not been paying very close attention or they're just looking to stir the pot a little bit. But the Rangers, once again, 100% were not mocking the storm surge. They were simply doing the thing that they do after every home victory. As far as the stuff with Gerard Gallant and Tony D'Angelo, so all this stuff between Max Domi and Ryan Lindgren happens, and then out of nowhere, you've got Gerard Gallant uh, you know, the camera went to him and he's yelling at somebody and he's yelling at Tony D'Angelo because D'Angelo had started chirping Gallant and, you know, running his mouth at the Ranger coach. And I don't know what prompted this from Tony D'Angelo. I mean, I'm going to try to figure it out here, which I mean, let's be honest, trying to get inside the head of Tony D'Angelo and try to figure out what thoughts go through his brain. That's a risky endeavor to begin with, but I'm going to do my best here. So my best guess is that D'Angelo was maybe upset at the Rangers because they had Ryan Reeves on the ice at the end of the game. And, you know, sometimes in hockey, that's considered in poor taste to have, you know, your enforcer, your your big tough guy on the ice at the end of the game that, you know, maybe that team is looking to start some trouble. The Rangers have done this every single time in the playoffs when they've had a multi-goal lead and they're running out the clock in the third period. They put Ryan Reeves on the ice. The reason they put Reeves on the ice is not for him to go out there and start cheap-shotting people and start fighting people. It is to make sure the rest of the Rangers on the ice are protected. And if you watch these earlier games, the games against the Penguins, when the Rangers have had the lead, Ryan Reeves has been out there, and not once has he shown any real aggression toward the ends of these games. Not once has he attacked anybody or cheap-shotted somebody or cross-checked somebody in the head. Nothing like that. He is simply out there to make sure that nobody takes any liberties with the other players on the New York Rangers. And that strategy has worked very well up until this point in the postseason when, once again, Max Domi finds the need uh, to start a bunch of nonsense. So, again, my best guess is that D'Angelo took exception with Gallant having Ryan Reeves on the ice at the end of the game, but too bad. Take the loss with a little bit of dignity, skate off the ice, and uh, live to fight another day. I think this was really, really stupid by the Canes. I mean, you've got a 2 to nothing series lead coming into this game. You lose game three. You're still in control. You're still up two games to one. You've still got two more games in your home arena where you are undefeated thus far in the playoffs. The Canes are 6-0 at home, and you basically kind of poke a sleeping bear here. I mean, not that the Rangers are asleep. I don't want to you know, give off that idea at all because the Rangers played very, very well in this game, but you're in the driver's seat and now you light even more of a fire under this New York Ranger team, which just got a big win. You're starting stuff with Ryan Lingren at the end of the game. You're starting stuff with the Ranger coach. Just take the loss and move on. You're still in a good spot as it pertains to, you know, where you are in this series. This was really, really dumb by the Canes. And I was joking on Twitter. I'm not even joking, really. I think the Rangers should really do this. So before game four, just put on in the locker room a video on loop of Max Domi attacking Ryan Lingren and of Tony D'Angelo chirping Gerard Gallant after the game. Just let that play on a loop over and over and over again. Just give the Rangers all the motivation they could possibly ever ask for. I mean, they're going to be motivated anyway. Big, big game in game four, trying to get this series even, heading back to rally. It's a monumental game to be sure. But again, I think the Canes really messed up here and uh, really 
lit a fire under this New York Ranger team. And if you saw Gallant uh, talking to Tony D'Angelo, or yelling at him, rather, I'm no expert lip reader, but I'm almost positive he was yelling at Tony D'Angelo, you're a f**k-up. And he's absolutely right. Tony D'Angelo has cost himself so, so much money playing in this league uh, just by being Tony D'Angelo. And there's no way that he should have had to have settled for a one-year, $1 million contract this season based on his talent alone. But the way he's acted, that's all that he could get for himself uh, coming into this season. So, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Tony D'Angelo acting the way that you pretty much expect him to act. And only time's going to tell here, but I think this was a big, big mistake by the Carolina Hurricanes at the end of this game. Once again, just lighting even more of a fire under the New York Rangers. And after the game, uh, you know, Gerard Gallant was asked about everything that happened. And he said, I wasn't happy with the bullshit at the end of the game that they initiated. We didn't do that when the games were close. They put their guys out. That's fine. If they want to play like that, we've got the guys that can match them. Domi took a cheap shot at our defenseman, and you have long memory in this. You think about some things, and the shoe might be on the other foot someday. So we'll see. I mean, the Raiders have to keep it in check. You can't make game four, you know, your personal mission for revenge. If you're the Rangers, you got to concentrate on winning the game. But uh, yeah, again, I think this was a huge mistake by the Canes at the end of this game. And I'm only time's going to tell how it shakes out, but I'm hoping once again, we see the Rangers just come out absolutely flying in game four. And once again, playing what will turn out to be their best game of the postseason, which I think is entirely possible. That will pretty much do it for today, though, guys. If you'd like to get in touch with this podcast, please send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Once again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. And definitely give us a follow on Twitter as well, at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Once again, that is at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time. Thanks for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. Now make your second listen, Locked On NHL. From first-round matchups to each Stanley Cup kiss, Locked On NHL covers the playoffs like no other. Hear the latest news and opinions from local experts every Monday through Friday. It is free and available wherever you get your podcasts.